In this episode, a late episode of NBA Big Board Monday, I will answer questions in my inbox. Actually, I have so many questions that I'm going to have to break this up into two episodes. So stay tuned. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. And I know this episode is dropping late because for the second straight weekend, I had some travel issues. I was in Houston on Sunday. I was a speaker on this grassroots panel. It was it was phenomenal. And the content should come out soon, but it was great for any parent that has a, a child that is interested in playing basketball at a college level or even, even the NBA. I talked about recruiting and draft boards. It was me, um, Eric Bossy from 247. They had different um, trainers on there as far as from the skills training. They talked about NIL. They talked about so many different things. So I was in Houston last week, had some travel issues, got back to Dallas. I don't know what happened. I mean, it looked like a... a dust storm over the entire city every car is dirty really really weird but anyway so i'm a little bit later than normal on this episode but again this is two episodes this is part one all right let's just get let's just get right to it the first question is and you know what i knew this question was coming i knew it was coming and here it is did you see Wimbayama get dunked on by that slow dude from the czech republic are you concerned about his weight? I knew that was coming. And I, and I saw like the different people posting it on YouTube and posting it on Twitter and on, on Facebook. Yes, the guy is going to get dunked on. He is thin. He's 19 years old. And yes, it was a clip of him getting, I mean, the guy went through him and dunked on him with two hands. But that's what happens when you're a shot block. I mean, you look at Alonzo Mourning, shot blocker got dunked on the best shot blockers get dunked on and Wimbayama is going to struggle with physicality once he gets to the NBA because again he is he's young he's thin but eventually once he is able to to gain weight and I know from speaking with his agent gaining weight and gaining weight fast is not a priority they have a very specific long-term approach and I think Wimbayama is going to be able to play some four. I think, he, you know, they may pair him with a bruiser. It's, it's the same thing that I imagine Oklahoma City is going to do with Chet. You know, he may defend the five or he may defend the four, but there is going to be someone to do the dirty work next to him until he adds enough strength to be able to defend five. But then, you know, you look at your Joel Embiid, your Nikola Jokic, it doesn't matter how big, how strong you are, you're going to have trouble with them. So, no, I'm not concerned with Wimbayama's weight because he's still a teenager. And in that game where he got dunked on, he, I forgot, he had a monster game. He, he outplayed the guy that, that dunked on him. I had plenty of uh, block shots. So, to answer your question, no, I am not concerned. Now, if he is 230 pounds, in 2028 then that is a little bit of a concern but thankfully for him he has a skill set that allows him to play on the perimeter and I think he could still be a really effective NBA player without you know gaining 50 or 60 pounds all right the next question is 
Has Kobe Bufkin passed Jet Howard and Hunter Dickinson as the best prospect on Michigan's team? You know, that's that's a good question. Um, I think Jet Howard is going to get drafted ahead of Bufkin, but Bufkin has has been a, a big riser amongst amongst. Oh, I don't even know if I said it right. Bufkin has been a big riser, according to scouts that I have spoken with. I had a scout tell me earlier today, and, I, and this is going to be in the NBA Big Board article. But I had a scout tell me earlier today that. Earlier in the year, he didn't see Bufkin as a guy that was draftable in 2023. He thought he was more so of a 2024 guy. But over the past few weeks, he's put himself in position to not only be drafted, but as a possible first-round pick. He mentioned that Bufkin is their guy that they go to when, when they need a bucket. And he was a little concerned because he felt like he was a little small to play the two, maybe not necessarily a natural one, but he liked Bufkin. And according to this particular scout, he is higher on Bufkin than Jet Howard because he feels like Bufkin, even though he's smaller, does a little bit more to impact the game than than Jet Howard. So this is a legitimate question. I would say if you ask 10 scouts, I'd say probably 80% would still say Jet Howard is the best prospect because at his size at 6'8", and he can shoot, and Bufkin's a little smaller and and may not have the same defined NBA role. But overall, I think it's it's a good question. All right, number three, is Reese Beekman's draft stock falling? That is a, a legitimate question also. Beekman has been in sort of a slump. I don't know if it's still... Related to the, I think he had an ankle injury in the year. He just hasn't seemed to have the same impact like, like he had earlier in the year. Maybe he got off to a hot start, but I know just off the top of my head, he's had several games. I probably, I, I would guess maybe five out of the last seven or eight games or four out of the last six games, he's been in under double figures. So I think that um, he's going to have to prove that the reason why he's struggled as far as scoring is because he hasn't been healthy. But scoring isn't the skill set that he's going to hang his hat on in the NBA. He is known for his defense and and um, arguably, depending on who you talk to, the, the best defender in this class, point of attack defender. I mean, some may say Kevin McCullough. I've heard Casey Wallace, Reese Beekman's name, always comes up in the conversation. So... His stock may have fallen some. I think some people may have thought he was like a first-round pick. I know he had like a strong performance around the holidays. I don't see him as a first-round pick today. Um, And, you know, the the momentum that he has like going into the tournament and even the conference tournament isn't the greatest. But there's still time left to drive his draft stock right back up. So to answer your question, I do think – that it has fallen some, but there's still enough time for him to to regain it. All right, question number four. What is the best spot for Victor Wimbayama? Wimbayama. San Antonio, Houston, Charlotte, or Detroit? Personally, if I were in if I were in charge, right? <laughs> and I have the ability to make sure the ping pong balls went 
to the team that I thought was the perfect spot for Wimbayama, I would actually choose San Antonio. I think it makes sense. I'm not a fan of what's going on in Houston. I mean, if you just look at the amount of points guys have scored against Houston, I mean, Dame had 71. I think Luka had a 50-point game. I, th- I think Booker's had – I don't know. I, I, I saw a tweet about it today. Just not a big fan of what's going on in Houston. Charlotte, I mean, you can almost make some of the same the the same comments about what's going on in Charlotte as far as just I mean, the things that I'm hearing, like the immaturity in the locker room, no structure, lack of strong veteran leadership. Detroit doesn't have those same rumblings that I hear. Not a not a huge fan of like the roster balance in Detroit. San Antonio is, even though it's, you know, and maybe part of this is just giving San Antonio too much credit because it's San Antonio and their history, but they've lost 16 games in a row. They've lost 16 games in a row, and you haven't heard the same criticisms regarding San Antonio as you heard, as you hear about Charlotte or, or Houston. Uh, I, I do like some of the pieces in San Antonio. I think Keldon Johnson's good. I think Devin Vassell is good. I think San Antonio's in a situation where Wimbayama helps and Scoot helps immediately, and both guys have clear paths to starting, and and the fits are, are really good. So, for example, if, you know, with, with Detroit, I mean, of course you're going to take Wimbayama, but Detroit has quite a few centers that would make – I mean, it would just be hard to get the best out of all those guys. So, of course, you're going to have to trade Wiseman, maybe even Durant. I think they can play together, but Beef Stew, not saying that, you know, you don't draft Wimbayama because of Beef Stew. Um, San Antonio has just a clear-cut path for, for Wimbayama to be their, their starting guy because they traded uh, Jakob Portal to San, um, start to Toronto. So, yeah, it would be, be, be San Antonio for sure. All right, when we return, we will talk about a few more questions that are in my inbox. My goal is to get 10 questions answered today because I have about 19 or 20 that I that I handpicked from my, my list of questions. But before we get into that, I have to talk about Nissan's most electric player of the week. And it is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. And my Nissan Electric Player of the Week is a guy that I will talk about later on because I have questions about him. And it's probably like the sixth or seventh question coming up on this list. But it is, without a doubt, Jalen Hood Shafino. He had a 35-point game against Purdue. Not only was it a in-state rival, conference rival, Purdue was one of the best teams in the country. I mean, he had his best game of the... I, well, I would say it's his best game. I know he had a 33-point game earlier in the year, but 35 points, 7 rebounds. He was 14 of 24 from the floor. And to me, he is the most electric player of the week. And speaking of electric, you got to mention the Nissan Aria because it packs pin-you-to-your-seat power and premium intelligence all in one electric vehicle. It is electric. It is brilliantly fierce. It's fiercely elegant, stunningly powerful, elegantly powerful. And it is the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. It is the electric vehicle for people who love to drive. So shop now at NissanUSA.com. 
All right, once again, you're listening to the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. This is your host, Rafael Barlow, and I'm just answering questions in my inbox like I do every Monday. I enjoy Mailbox Monday, and I enjoy it. feels like I'm interacting because, you know, on the podcast, you don't necessarily have the ability to, like, take calls like you would on call-in talk show radio. So this is pretty much as close as I can get. All right, let's get right to it. Question number five is... Asar Thompson is shooting 30% from three. Do you think he can play an off-the-ball role as a non-shooter? That is something that I kind of struggle with. And I've, I've done multiple mock drafts and big boards over the over the course of this season. And, I mean, at one point I had him at number five. And then the last one I did where I had my top ten players, I had him outside of my top ten. I had him at number 11. Despite the fact that the shooting stroke is a little better than his brothers he was the mvp of overtimes league i know he had a game where i think he shot like four of six from three a couple days ago the shot does look better i'm still not much of a believer even though it is 30 percent. so i mean i mean he had like the four for six game i think it brought it up from like 28 percent to 30 percent. i'm still not a big time believer in the shot but if there's one thing that's pretty easy, at least in my opinion, the easiest thing to fix is shooting. You you have to kind of gamble on that. And, I mean, I'm just kind of up and down with where I rank him. His brother, Amin, is, is still solidified in the top five. Asur is, I mean, right now I have him at number 11. If the shot does not develop and he becomes a below average NBA shooter, then there's going to be some some issues there. But I also feel like he has the ball skills to where maybe he can be a secondary or primary ball handler. Because I don't think, and, and I've heard people say differently, but I don't think the gap between him and his brother as far as like the, the ball handling and the passing is that wide. But if I were a team and I was drafting Oscar Thompson, I'm going to give him a shot at being a primary. I'm going to put the ball in his hand some and not put him in a position where he is playing way off the ball and standing in the corner and being forced to knock down open shots. Like It's probably like a bad comparison in a sense, but Denny Avdia was someone that when he was playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv, I thought he was best used when he had the ball in his hands. And his first year in the league, I felt he was standing in the corner way too much, which was understood because... You know, he wasn't going to take the ball out of Bradley Beal's hands, but I don't think you get the best out of Avdia if you don't put the ball in his hands some, at least let him make some decisions. And with Asur, my biggest concern is that he goes to a team and they may have a couple of dominant ball handlers, and now he's in the corner. If he's in the corner, you're not necessarily maximizing your, you know, maximizing his gifts. All right, at number six, and this goes back to the guy that was my Nissan most electric player it is Jalen Hood Shafino and the question is and this is pretty direct and straight to the point did Jalen Hood Shafino expose Zach Eady and I saw that a, a little bit on on social media after the big game and it's pretty much in, in reference to Eady and drop coverage and his ability to defend out of space on one hand, I, Edie had a good game. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I know that he had a really good performance himself, so it's not like it was totally, totally one-sided. But there is some concerns about Edie and his ability to defend in space and who can he guard in the NBA. It's unfortunate if he were born 20 years early or 
yeah, 20 years earlier, not 20 years ago, but 20 years earlier, he'd probably be a lottery pick. And it didn't it didn't help him for sure as far as like anyone that had concerns or questions about about his defense. But I'm going to give more of credit to Hutch Fino for his play as opposed to knocking Edie for not being able to come out and, and guard. So um, I do think I don't want to say it, it exposed him because I think everyone that had watched him knew that there was a concern about him defending in space and you know you got to just give indiana props for making it their game plan to attack him in space it's the same thing i've seen with oscar shibway i've seen teams do it to him and um and unfortunately shibway hasn't been as productive as, as Edie. so again did it expose him not to people who had been watching but i will say it didn't necessarily help Edie. also all right, last question before I get into the second break. Right. Do you think Arkansas can have five players drafted this year? That is a very interesting question. I do think there is a possibility. I wouldn't say it is completely impossible. I mean, you figure Nick Smith and Anthony Black are going to be lottery picks. And then there's a possibility that Jordan Walsh will come out this year. Then there's Ricky Council, who's having a strong year, and Trevon Brazil. Depending on if he decides to test the waters, there is a possibility. Brazil injuries basically cut short a season, torn ACL. I think he was trending in that direction. I know I had him as a first-round pick right before he went down. And I don't even know if he is going to be healthy enough to like really participate in in like the pre-draft stuff. So there is a chance that that he could, but you know maybe a team decides to make him a guarantee, or a team says, "Hey, we're going to draft you, or we're going to make you a two-way guy. You can rehab in our facility." I think that that is a possibility. But five guys is crazy. Five guys in one draft. Five out of not even 60 this year, five out of 58. That That is a, a, a hell of a recruiting class. And what's crazy is all those guys are first-year players at Alabama. Now, I personally, just my personal opinion, I think Jordan Walsh needs to to come back. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, we will see. A lot of times I believe players, their mind is set on being a one-and-done. And I'm not saying this specifically about Jordan. But I think a lot of times guys, their mind is set on being a one-and-done. And their bag's already packed. And even if the feedback doesn't say they're a first-round pick, they elect to go to the draft because they want to be professionals, which I think in some cases it's a mistake because there's NIL money to help you if your main reason for trying to get out and go pro is because you want to support your family. Not saying the NIL money is as much as the NBA contract, but in some cases it is. All right, when we return, I'll finish out this episode. But if you are looking for a delicious treat and you do not want all of the fat and calories, then you have to try a Built Bar. Because if you are like me, you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then Built is perfect for you. Because with Built Bars, healthy is actually tasty. And if you're wondering what makes Built Bars so good, well, they're covered with 100% chocolate, 100% real chocolate, I forgot to add. And they come in good flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, coconut, almond. Not sure how they do it, how they find a way to make the candy bars good while making them healthy. But 
If you don't believe me, let's, let's listen to these numbers. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, a whopping 17 grams of protein, and again, 100% real chocolate. So, for years, Built Bars could only be obtained from Built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. If you go to your nearest Walmart today and you go in the pharmacy section, you can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs if you're close to Sam's. You can get a 13-bar box with hit flavors like brownie batter and churro. Or you can just go to Built.com. All right, last segment. I have three more questions that I want to answer. And the first question in the last segment is, what are your thoughts on Wade Taylor? Wade Taylor is the point guard for Texas A&M. I am familiar with Wade because he is from the Dallas area. I had a chance to watch him play high school ball I saw him play uh, a couple couple years ago at a Wooten camp a little undersized it's definitely hard for smaller guards the NBA is it's just tough on small guards I mean you look at Sharif Cooper you look at Kennedy Chandler two guys that I feel like in my opinion I thought they were better than Wade Taylor and I, you know I could be wrong this is my personal opinion I thought they were better than Wade Taylor and both guys are in the G League and, and not really having an impactful role. So it's going to be tough. I mean, it's not only Wade Taylor. I mean, I think of Tyrese Hunter could have the same issue. I mean, it's just very difficult for the NBA team to believe in a small guard simply because a lot of times they feel like they can only defend one position. And you have to be extremely, extremely dynamite and super special to be a first-round pick as a small guard. But Wade Taylor has exceeded my expectations this year. I mean, Texas A&M is ranked. He is having a, a good year. I think he's averaging like 16 points per game. I think he's doubled his production from last year. So I like Wade Taylor. Um, I would definitely try to test the waters and, and see the feedback, but I just think it's going to be tough because of his size, which is, you know, the NBA is so different. It was always tough for a small guard, but it's like – it's brutal right now for small guards and traditional back to the basket centers and, and giants. So it's almost it's definitely a wing league. All right, at number nine, Matt Morrell was a player I thought was going to have a big year. He's regressed as a shooter and he is off a lot of draft boards. Do you think he'll come back to Ole Miss? Yeah, Morrell was a guy that I had on my on my draft board coming into the season. Shot like thirty eight percent from three last year thought that he was a top 60 prospect at the minimum he still is in that range but his defined role is as a shooter and he's only shooting like 29 percent from three that is not going to to help your draft stock I mean Ole Miss is a mess they fired their coach I wouldn't say it's the middle of the season but they fired their coach before the season ended and it's going to be interesting to see what happens because I imagine he's going to test the waters, and I imagine that the feedback that he'll get um, would obviously determine if he stays in or not. But either way, he's going to have to go to a new – play for a new coach and, and go to a new system. So Ole Miss is going to have to re-recruit him because there is a chance that he may be forced to come back in a sense because his draft stock is not – as as high as as he would have thought it would be. So, um, do I think he'll come back? 
Oh, I don't. I think. Ah. I'm going. If I were a betting man, I think he does come back to school. I think they go out on an all-out pitch to get him to come back. Whether it's increasing the NIL and, and promoting that he can help his draft stock by returning to school in a 2024 class, which is not considered really strong at this point. All right, last question for part one of this two-part NBA Big Board Mailbag Monday episode. <laughs> and this question is funny. I've actually been getting this question a lot. Who is this year's Johnny Davis, a bust that will be in the G League? Well, if I knew right away who was going to be a lottery pick that spends the majority of the season in the G League, I would definitely charge every NBA team a premium fee to let them know that in my crystal ball, this is going to happen. I'm kidding. Um, I don't know. I mean, Johnny Davis is really productive <laughs> last year at Wisconsin. I I did not see him struggling the way he has. I mean, his struggle started in summer league, carried over to the preseason, and even in the G League, I mean, he's not lighting it up. But I did see a, a press conference. Uh, I want to say I saw it two days ago where he just talked about, you know, he's hearing the, you know, the rumblings about him being a bust, and he was thankful for the fans that have stuck by him, that were cheering for him. He mentioned that he just has had a difficult time adjusting to the speed of the game and the length and picking his spots. I think he'll be okay. I, I mean, this is not an ideal start to his career, but I, I, and I mentioned it before, I think he needs to follow what J.J. Redick did. J.J. Redick was a, you know, high draft pick, didn't play much his first two years. He just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. And he said he didn't take days off. And J.J. basically, I don't, I don't want to say he reinvented himself, but he worked his way into having a, a role as, you know, a high-level rotation player in the NBA. J.J. Redick had a nice career. So if I'm Johnny Davis, I'm looking at guys who just kind of had to work their way back in the favor because Washington is more than likely going to miss the playoffs. They're going to have a lottery pick, and they may end up having another guard. And, you know, if they draft a guard this year or, yeah, this year, then that guard is going to be a, a major priority going into next season. So I would just work, work my butt off all summer, work on my shooting, even though he was good off the catch, but I would just work on finding ways to to fit into the Wizards offense and not necessarily – it's tough because the style of play that got him where he was drafted – may not be the style of play that gets him on the floor next year. So I was just working the shoot. Well, that wraps up part one. There will be a part two. But thank you for making NBA Big Boy your first listen of the day. I know in this case it's probably too late to be your first listen of the day if you listen right after releasing. But for your second listen, you got to check out the Game to Game NBA podcast. Every moment, every top performance, every result – Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. So follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA channel. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow. This is part one, Mailbag Monday. 
stay tuned for part two and i am i'm out temporarily <laughs>